Welcome to the Kindreds Podcast. Kindreds is a movement of women who believe that there is more beauty in our sameness than division in our differences. We exist to create spaces of belonging where women of all ages and all life stages can behold God, be loved by others, and believe that we can be a hope bringer to the world. I need you. You need me. We all need God. We are Kindreds. If we have met, hopefully you get to know me even a little bit better tonight, because tonight we're going to throw it back to the 90s. Anybody like the 90s? It's my jam. Ask my husband. If I have any choice of a radio station, it's, it's the 90s. And the reason is because I was in high school in the 90s. Now, some of you may say, man, you are so young. Thank you. I'll take that. As long as I can, I'll take that. Some of you may say, high school in the 90s, you are so old. I still love you. I do. But Sarah in the 90s looked something like this. There was a little show on called Friends. Sarah in the 90s had the the Rachel haircut. All the layers, the layered bobs, as many layers perfectly layered around with the hairspray all layered up. I was sporting Rachel from Friends Bob. Sarah in the 90s had Doc Martens, some baggy jeans, flannel shirt, unbuttoned, because you don't button your flannel shirt in the 90s, unbuttoned only. Anybody else with me? Rachel from Friends haircut, anybody? All right, Doc Martens, unbuttoned flannel shirts, anybody? This is me. This is me. And I'm walking down the hallway, and my principal did not refer to me as my name, Sarah. You see, the good kids got called by their first names. The kids who maybe pushed the boundaries a little bit, we'll just put it that way, got called Miss and then their last name, and my maiden name was Felker. So I'd walk down, walk down the hallway with my Rachel haircut and my baggy jeans and my Doc Martens, and the principal would just look at me, and she would just say, Miss Felker with just a little bit of an undertone of cynicism. And she had reason to refer to me that way because, like I said, I pushed the boundaries a little bit. Case in point, I was walking into my biology class one day, and it was the day where they said, we are going to be dissecting something. Now, nice high schools dissect frogs, but my high school was inhumane. And they dissected pigs. Pigs, people, not just pigs. Baby pigs, right? Anybody else would have a problem dissecting a baby pig? I had a huge problem dissecting a baby pig, but the problem is most normal kids would be like, I don't really want to do that. And they would have a nice civil conversation with a teacher about why they didn't want to do that. But I was like, I got to save the world. I got to save the pigs. This ends now. This ends here. This ends with me. And so I march up with my teacher afterwards and I'm like, I'm sorry. I will not stand for this. We will not be dissecting baby pigs. I will not do this. And he looked at me and he's just like, well, you, do you eat them? And I was like, not anymore. You want to play that game? No, not anymore. This led to me being a vegetarian for seven years. Seven years just to prove my biology teacher wrong. So he said, you know what? Okay, fine. If you're now a vegetarian, you may do your dissection virtually through a TV screen. That's okay. Again, for most normal kids, this would be like, all right, good. Thank you. Thank you for working with me. But I was like, it's not enough that I don't have to dissect the pig. I don't want anybody to dissect the pig. No one will be dissecting pigs in this school. So I go home and I get this great idea. I have this old Precious Moments coloring book. Precious Moments, anybody? Yes. And it's this picture of this really cute baby pig. This is actually the picture. And I tore down. I was like, I'm going to do something with this. And so in a big Sharpie marker, I wrote, stop the killing of pigs. Now, again, normal people would maybe do this. Maybe normal people wouldn't do this. But, but, but maybe they would give that piece of paper to their biology teacher. But no, not me. Mm-mm. I went to Kinko's. And I used my minimum wage job to make 500 copies of said picture. Because I wanted to plaster my biology teacher's door to make a point. 
that this is wrong and this is bad. And when you come to school, you need to know that this is terrible. So I wallpapered my biology teacher's door, got to school early the next morning. But the problem is it only takes about 50 pieces of paper to wallpaper a door, not 500. So the unassuming freshmen who got dropped off a little bit early, um, I went and I found them. And I was like, I have a little project you're going to help me with. See, we have 450 extra pictures of Stop the Killing of Pigs pictures, and you're going to help me hang them up. And so I went and put one on every single locker, down every single hallway, on every single wall. And when everybody arrived to school that morning, there was Precious Moments pigs everywhere that just said, Stop the Killing of Pigs. And I did it all. And I was so proud of myself. And I'm like, I am changing the world. This is me before I met Jesus. Like, I put all my energy towards saving pigs. Now, it's just Jesus. I'll just sell you Jesus. That's what I'll do. And so I walked to my first period class feeling pretty good about myself. I got my Rachel haircut. I got my my flannel shirt. I got my Doc Martens. I'm just saving the world so nobody kills these innocent pigs anymore. And I'm feeling good. And I'm sitting down, and there it is over the intercom, that voice that I know so well, Miss Felker, to the principal's office. And so I took the walk of shame to my principal, and I'm like, here I am. And as I walked into her office, I I don't know what was going on in my brain. I actually thought she was going to be like, this is noble, what you have done. (laughs) Like, thank you, Sarah, for waking us all up and helping us to understand that killing animals is cruel, and no one should ever have to dissect anything, and all the freshmen from around the world rejoice. But that's not what happened. Like, I got in really big trouble. (laughs) I felt so shamed. She came down so hard on me. I was like, I will never speak out again. I will never voice my opinion again. And I went through the hallway, walk of shame, one by one, taking down every one of the 500 pictures of Stop the Killing of Pigs pictures that I hung up. And it's a funny story, and I look back and I laugh, and none of you tell my children I do that because if they ever did something like that in school, they get in such big trouble. But I remember that moment in time because something switched in me after getting in trouble that day. I remember the next time I wanted to step out and say something, I remember I was just a little bit more hesitant. The next point that I felt strongly and passionate about something and I wanted to make it known, I wanted to step out and do something bold and something daring and something risky, all of a sudden this thought popped in my head, what will somebody think? What will somebody say? Will I be accepted? Will I be loved? Is this okay? Have you ever had one of those moments where something happened and on the other side of that circumstance, it just shaped you a little bit differently? You were more fearful, not less fearful. You were more cautious, not less cautious. You thought twice about what other people would think or what other people would say before you stepped out and you did it. I think we've all been in those situations. Maybe you've spoke out and someone silenced you. Maybe you had a dream in your heart and you tried and you fell flat on your face and you failed. Maybe you tried and it just didn't work out as planned. Maybe you prayed and God didn't answer your prayer and you said, I will never do that again. I'll never step out again. Recently, I saw an example of this in one of the most unassuming places. I went to the Kansas City Zoo with my kids. It was quite busy that day, and we were walking around with some family and looking at all the animals, and I walked up to this pen that had a rhinoceros in it. And there was a wide open space. If you've ever been to the Kansas City Zoo and you've been to the Africa portion, like it's a wide open space. And I began to look for where the rhino was, and I looked out there, looked out there, didn't see him, and then I find him. And he's in this corner, and he's just pacing in circles over and over and over again. I sat there, a minute passed by, two minutes passed by, three minutes passed by. The rhinoceros is still walking in circles. And I begin to Google, like, do rhinoceroses walk in circles? Am I missing something? Is this something they do before they're tired? What is happening? And I couldn't find anything. And then I began to talk to some people around who had known his story. And what they told me, word on the street at the Kansas City Zoo is, is that this rhinoceros in particular that was walking in circles that day used to be in a small enclosure where he had no choice but to pace in a circle. 
He had no freedom to roam. He was confined to a space. But then this rhinoceros was moved to a wide open space where he had all the freedom in the world he could move about. But guess what he did? He found that comfortable corner. He found that same circle. And he began to walk over and over and over again. And as I stood there, I felt the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart for this room tonight. Because I felt God say, that is the story of many women that are present here, that will be present here. That something happens to us and we get put back into the corner, we find our comfortable circle, and we begin to walk around over and over and over again. Have you gotten used to walking in circles? Have you had an experience in your life that has taught you to play it safe, to stay put, to live small, to turn your back on the wide open spaces of freedom that God has for you and to say, you know what, it's just safer here. It's just more comfortable here. I know this ground here. I know what's coming next here, but out there that's a little bit scary. So I'm just going to stay content to stay right there. You see, we all have circles that we walk in where the ground beneath our feet has been trod over and over and over again. We have worn an indentation in the ground because we have walked around those houses so many times. We've walked around with the same fears that have paralyzed us. We've walked around with the same failures that have held us back from taking steps forward. We have walked around in circles of the same lies that we believe, the same debilitating thoughts that we have. We've walked around the circles of the same people that we're trying to please. We've walked around the circle of the same dreams that we've gave up on. We've walked around the circle of the same diagnosis that has been placed over our life, and we use it as an excuse for not moving forward. We walk around the circles of the same sin, the same addictions that hold us captive. And I think what God is saying to us tonight is, would you look up? Would you look up from the circle that you are stuck in and see that there is freedom that is to be found? And so I wonder tonight, what's your circle? What is the circle that keeps you captive? What's the circle that you walk in around and around and around again? Because we all have them. Oh, I have my circles. I have my circles of worry that I've walked around and around and around thinking, what will happen if? What will happen if? What will happen if? What will happen if I'm not a good enough mom and my kids don't turn out right? What would happen if I take this bold move and I risk it? What will happen? What will people think of me? Will they accept me? Will they love me? The circle of anxiety and worry, that's, that's been my circle. Oh, I have circles. I have the circle of isolation that I have walked in. For too many years in my life, I walked around in the circle of, I got this by myself. I don't need anybody's help. If I speak out and I talk to somebody, then I'll just be a burden on them, and I'll just carry this on my own. I have my circles of isolation. I have my circles of dreams, things that God has told me to do, things he has put in my heart to do, that I have circled over and over and over again. I'll do that tomorrow, God. I'll do that tomorrow, God. I'll do that tomorrow, God. Tomorrow is the day for faith. Tomorrow is the day for courage. Tomorrow is the day for boldness. But not today, because today is comfortable. Today I like my routine. Today I like not having a long to-do list. Today I just want to stay right here. Those are my circles. I wonder what yours are. We all have them. And I'm here to tell you tonight, ladies, that we cannot walk in circles and walk in calling at the same time. You cannot walk in circles and walk in calling at the same time. God has put a calling on your life. There is something that he has uniquely tasked you to do in this world. That nobody else can do. That if you choose to not do it, it's just not going to get done. Maybe God will use somebody else, but he's like, hey, you are my choice. You are my choice. And he'll get it done maybe, but you are my choice. And we can't walk out and step into those callings when we are so busy walking in the same old circles. This is God's word to us tonight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight 
your paths. It doesn't say he will keep you walking in circles. He'll keep you bound up, circling the houses in the same exact way. He says, no, I'm going to make straight your paths. I'm going to tell you how to get from point A to point P. I'm going to show you where to go. In Isaiah 45, God says, I will go before you and I will make the crooked paths straight. You see, God is in the business of not keeping you captive and bound up in the same old, same old. He is in the business of bringing freedom into your life. He is in the business of making crooked paths straight in your life. And even when you can't see what's coming next, God says, I already know what's coming because I have gone before you and I have made straight the path and I just need you to lift up your eyes for one moment and see that the path is not circular, that the path is straight ahead and I will lead you and I will guide you and I will show you where to go. Tonight we are declaring freedom over some circles that we walk in. And to help us do that, I want to open up the word of God and I want to look at the stories of a few women who had the choice to get stuck in their circles. Oh, they had every excuse in the book. When you look at their stories, I'm like, if I were you, that's not the decision I would have made. But they didn't. They made some bold and risky and daring moves to say, I'm going to walk forward into freedom. I'm not going to get bound up and stuck right here. And I want to look at their stories tonight. Now, these women have something in common because they all had something to do with a guy named Moses. If you know the story of Moses, we talk about him all the time. He's the one, the deliverer, who would come into Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he would lead the Israelites out of captivity. And he would get the Ten Commandments from God. And he would lead them through the wilderness and bring them into a place where they're about to enter the promised land. This was the life of Moses, and everybody wants to talk about Moses. But nobody talks about the women in Moses' life who, if it were not for them, Moses probably wouldn't be alive. And Moses certainly wouldn't have been the deliverer. We wouldn't be reading about him today. Four women that we're going to talk about tonight who in their season of life left the circle and said, I'm going to make some bold and daring and courageous moves. The first women that we're going to talk about are two midwives. And their names were Pua and Shifra. They would not be on like the best baby names of uh, 2017. They just wouldn't. But these were Hebrew midwives. And when Pua and Shifra come on the scene, here is what is happening. The Israelites are rep- are, are oppressed. And the Pharaoh is this crazy, tyrannical leader who realizes, I need to oppress these people even more. And he notices, and he starts to get scared because they are growing in numbers. And so he begins to oppress them more. And the scriptures actually say that the more they were oppressed, the more that they grew and multiplied. And he comes to these midwives and he says, listen, here's what's going to happen. When the baby boars are born, you're going to kill them. Now, can you imagine for a midwife who, who's made their career in their life over bringing life into the world, over protecting babies, over helping mamas, being told by the person who has all the authority and all the power and all the control, this is what you're going to do. You're going to kill every baby boy that is born. They had a choice to make. They could get stuck in a circle of fearing man and into self-preservation of protecting their own life, or they can make a bold and daring move. Scripture is saying, and see this on your screen, the midwives, however, feared God. And they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Why did they let the boys live? Why could they make this bold and daring decision? Because they feared God. Now Pharaoh came looking for them. The king came looking for them and he said, hey, what's the deal? The baby boys are dying. What's going on? And they told a little bit what I'm going to call a holy lie. Anybody told a holy lie before? I'm not condoning lying, but this is a holy lie. And they said, well, you just got to understand These Hebrew women don't give birth like the Egyptian women. They take a long time, but these Hebrew women, man, those babies come out fast. Like, I I couldn't do anything about it. They just came out. Anybody not make it to the hospital giving birth to a child? A few of you? Yes? Any car births in the room? Yes! Car births! Oh, hear the stories later. So they told this holy lie, and why did they do it? Because they just said, oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to bow to you. 
They feared God more than they feared man. They did not walk in a circle of fear around Pharaoh and say, I'm going to play your game. They said, no, 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 I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe God with my life. I'm going to walk out into the wide open spaces of God's provision and know that he's going to protect me even in this. As I fear him, as I live in obedience, as I walk with him. I know you are calling me to be a murderer, but I'm going to remain a nurturer. And because of them, Moses lived. Listen, as we gather here tonight for our first night of kindred, it's one of our values that we are gathering around is that we are here to behold God. When you behold someone or something, you stand in awe and of amazement. When you look at them, you can't look away. When you see a crowd full of faces and you behold somebody, you zero in on that one face and you say, you lock eyes and I'm with you. That's what Jake did the moment he saw me. He looked at me. He beheld me. He's still beholding me today. I make him. I'm kidding. That's what we are to do with God. When we see him, we are to behold him and stand in awe and amazement of who he is. And when we do that with our life, we fear God and we can't fear man. You can't put God first and still fear the opinions of what other people think about you. You can't put God first and still be so concerned about self-preservation that you make decisions with your life that favor what other people want you to do above what God is calling you to do. But some of us are stuck tonight in the circle of fear. We are stuck in that circle of fearing people that we cannot step out in obedience. We can't step out in our calling because we are so fearful of what other people will think about us. We are so fearful of what they'll say, of how they'll critique, of how they'll judge us, of what will happen. Or maybe it's a different type of fear that holds you back. But can I tell you, when we behold God, when we get face-to-face in the presence of a very real almighty God, can I tell you that he leads us out from those places of fear? That we are no longer walking in circles, but we are led forward. And I believe that if you are in that place tonight where you are walking in the circle of fear and you say, that's my circle, that is me, that there are some women in this room who are here to lead you out. Because sometimes we cannot lead ourselves out of our own circles. It's just too hard. We need some other people to come and grab us by the hand and say, no longer, like we are going over here. Now, I don't know the ages of Pua and Shifra, but here's what I do know. Midwives in that time were usually the older women. They were the older relatives and friends of the women who were giving birth. And so it's quite likely that they were part of the older generation that was present. If you are in this room tonight, and you maybe reluctantly, but I would say you are the rich ones in the room, part of the older generation, can I look at you and just say to you, we need you. Why do we need you present in this room? We need you present in this room because you have been through some stuff. You have seen the mountaintops, you have walked through the valley, and you have been faithful to God the whole way. And there are people in this room who have not been able to see God's provision over 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and they need you to step into their life and say, hey, I'm here. I know it looks hopeless right now. I know you're afraid right now. I know everything looks like it's failing right now, but God will provide. I've seen him do it over and over and over again. We need some puas and shifras in the room who say, I'm going to fear God and not man, and I can do that because I have some longevity with him. And we need you, Puas and Shifras, to find the people who are locked in their circle of fear and to grab them by the hand and to lead them out from that place and say, come with me. Let's behold God together. Let me show you how amazing he is. Let me show you the faithfulness that he has proved to me through the years. Are you stuck in a circle of fear? Because I believe that tonight God wants to lead you out from that place. The second woman in Moses' life that we're going to talk about is his mama. And her name was Jochebed. If you've ever heard of this woman, Jochebed, You see, it's in the context of these midwives not killing the babies that the king comes back and he says, all right, well, you're not going to kill the babies. Well, then I can fix this. All the babies that are going to be born are just going to be thrown in the Nile River. We're just going to drown them and we'll just do away with it that way. And can you imagine in that context finding out that you're pregnant 
And I can imagine for that nine months probably hoping and praying, I hope it's a girl, I hope it's a girl, I hope it's a girl, I hope it's a girl. Because you know that if your baby is born and it's going to be a boy, that that baby will no longer get to live. And this daring and bold woman, Jochebed, steps up and she gives birth to this baby boy, Moses. And she loves this boy, just like if you have children in this room or grandchildren in this room or nieces or nephews in this room and you see them, you love them instantly. And she wants to protect his life, nurture his life. But she knows that it's dangerous. And so she hides him in isolation for three months. But she gets to a point where she knows she can do it no longer. He is just one earache away, one tummy ache away, one nighttime tantrum away from those cries being heard and from her baby being taken and being killed. And so she gets to this place in her life where she realizes, I can't do this on my own. I can't hide his cries on my own. I can't shield this baby from this big bad world out there by my own. I'm going to do something desperate. And sometimes desperate measures, desperate times call for desperate measures. And so she builds this basket and she puts her baby in it and she puts it in the reeds along the banks of the Nile. Now I think she was a smart woman. And I think this whole three months she was probably trying to figure out a plan. What am I going to do with this baby? And I bet she watched that river. Who are the women who are going to come? Who are the women who would have compassion? Who are the people who would care for my child as if they were her own? And I think in all diligence and astuteness, she puts this baby in the river and it's out of her hands. But here's what Jochebed realized. I can't do it on my own. I can't hide and protect this baby on my own. I need someone else to enter the life of this child and to take care of him. She risked everything on the help of other people. One of our values here at Kindreds is that we would enter into this space and into other spaces and that we would be loved by other people. That we would put ourselves in a context where women can get into our lives, where we can open up and we can be honest and we can be vulnerable and we can receive the love and the affection and the encouragement of the women around us. You see, some of us have walked in this room tonight and we are walking in the circle of isolation. You are here and you're trying to do it on your own. You're a Jacobed with Moses carrying this burden by yourself for three months and you're getting to the point where you realize, I can't do this on my own anymore. And just like the desperation caused her to step out and enlist the help of other people, you have to get to a point where you step out of that circle and say, I'm going to enlist the help of other people that are here in this room or that are here outside of this room, but you have to step out. Now, I don't know Jacobed's age, but here's what I do know. She married her nephew. She was the aunt, so... Maybe she was younger, but chances are she was maybe older than her husband. Different times, different times. It's all right. It's all right. Moses is her last child that we know of, so it's possible that she was in the later years of her childbearing. And so I think Jochebed for us represents this middle generation, those who are in the middle of their life. And here's what I know about women who are in the middle of their life. They have lived long enough to realize they can't do it on their own. That circle of isolation I talked about, yeah, I had to break free from that. I had to. Because I lived enough life to realize I can't do this by myself. I I don't know how to raise kids by myself. I don't know how to be married by myself. I I don't know how to cook for myself. I don't know how to do anything. I need those of you who cook to give me the recipes. I need those of you who know how to parent your children to tell me how. I need those of you who have been married 20 years longer than me to tell me how to navigate this fight. I, I need women in my life. And those of you who find yourself in the middle years, whether you are married, whether you have children or not, whether you are single or not, I think you have learned that you can't go it alone. And that there are some women in this room tonight that are walking around in the circle of isolation and they need you, Jacobin, to take them by the hand and lead them out. To say, you don't have to carry this burden on your own, but we are here to shoulder the weight alongside of you. Don't go it alone. Final woman in Moses' life was his big sis. And her name was Miriam. You see, Jacobin slips Moses into a basket. She puts it into the Nile River. 
But it was, we believe, Miriam, who was a sister who was waiting by the banks to see what would happen to her baby brother. And she watches in anticipation, and Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, comes, and she finds this baby, and she has compassion on this crying baby, and she picks it up. And before she can even decide what she is going to do with the baby, there's Miriam. And if you have one of those friends who just shows up in the most unassuming of places and tells you what you're going to do before you even have a chance to think about what you wanted to do in the first place, and they're like, I have a plan for your life. This is what we're going to do. And you're like, okay, we're going to go there, all right? Like, this was Miriam in this moment. She was so bold. She stepped forward before the princess, princess could even decide what she was going to do. And it says this in Exodus 2-7. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Like, I, I have a plan for you. I have a plan for your life. I, I, you see this baby? You have compassion on this baby? I know, I know some people. I got some people. I got them. I can go get them, and they can nurse the baby for you. Is that okay? And she agrees. And if you know the end of the story, you know that she goes, and she gets Moses' mama. She goes and gets Jochebed, and she gets her baby boy back. And not only does she get more time with her baby, not only does she get to nurse that baby, but she actually gets paid to be able to do it. Anybody else think you should get paid to nurse? I, yes. I mean, absolutely, that's what I want. But here's the thing about Miriam. I believe Miriam was a dreamer. Everybody else would have given up hope. When you have seen boy after boy after boy after boy be thrown into a river and killed and drowned, what makes you think that this one is going to get to live just because he's in a basket? And when everybody else gave up hope, she stood there in anticipation and said, it doesn't have to end like this. There is a different way out. It doesn't have to end like this. And she steps forward and makes some bold moves. One of our values as gathered as kindreds is that we would be a hope bringer to the world. That we haven't gathered here tonight just because we want to spend time with Jesus, but we do. We haven't gathered here tonight just to deepen our friendships with each other, although that's great. But we have come here to kindle something in our hearts, to reignite something in our hearts as women of God that say we can be a hope bringer to the world. That we can be the Miriams that step up and say, I have a solution to that problem. That we can be the Miriams that step up and say, it doesn't have to end like this. I have an idea. I have a thought. I have a dream. Would you allow me to lead out in that area? I think that's what God wants for us. You see, some of you tonight are stuck in a circle of hopelessness. You think it does have to end like this way. The addiction does have to rule my life. The marriage does have to end. My kids will fail. This mental illness will always hold me back. God cannot work through me. And you have decided for yourself that it's going to end like this. And if you are in that circle of hopelessness, you need something to lead you out. And I think it's a God-sized dream that is the thing that leads us out from those places to believing again. I think there's a reason why scripture tells us to have childlike faith. I don't know if you have ever been around little kids, but they just believe that God can do anything. Like I burn my finger on the stove or like I stub my toe and my five-year-old daughter is like, let's pray. God will heal this right now. Like, she's just so convinced of it. No question. It's going to be done. We're going to pray, and it's over. I think that's why God tells us to have childlike faith. And that's why I love Miriam. I don't know exactly how old she was, but she was certainly of the youngest generation. And if you are in this room tonight, and you are part of the younger generation, maybe you're a teenager in the room, maybe you're in your 20s, can I tell you, we need you. And here's why we need you, because you still have childlike faith. You still believe those God-sized dreams that he's put inside of your heart. You are still filled with vision. You can still see the things that don't exist. And when we get older and we get stuck in a rock, we need you to help us dream again. We need you to pull us out of our circles of hopelessness and say, God has bigger plans for you. God has bigger dreams for you. And it doesn't matter how old you are, they can still be accomplished. These were some incredible women. 
And without them, we probably wouldn't know the story of Moses. But these women all had something in common. They had the ability to get stuck in their circles, but they said no. They stepped out in faith. They stepped out in boldness. They stepped out in courage, and they made some risky moves in their life. And I think God is calling us into that same space this evening. And so we started out tonight by asking this question, what's your circle? What is the ground beneath your feet that you have circled time and time and time again? Maybe yours is a circle of fear. Maybe yours is a circle of isolation. Maybe yours is the circle of hopelessness. Maybe it's different. Maybe it's the paralyzing thought, the debilitating emotions. Maybe it is the addiction. Maybe it is the marriage that's suffering. I don't know what it is, but where are you stuck in life where you just say, I know that there's wide open spaces of freedom over there, but it's just a little bit more comfortable right here. I wouldn't even know how to get out if I wanted. Tonight, I want you to have permission to dream again. Tonight, I want this to be a space where God ignites something in your heart. The Bible talks about how he can give us dreams more than we can ask for or imagine. Are you in a place where you still dream those more than you can ask for or imagine dreams? Or has your imagination gotten small because of fear? Has it gotten small because of failure? Has it gotten small because of disappointment in times where God hasn't shown up for you? Because I think he wants to reignite something in your heart tonight. Tonight is a night where there is permission to dream. And I wouldn't say just permission to dream, but it's actually time to dream again. You see, before Moses ever existed, his great, great, great grandpa was on the scene, and his name was Abraham. And God brought Abraham out under the night sky, and he looked at these stars, and he just said, hey, I want you to look up, and I want you to see all the stars in the sky. Can you count them? Of course he couldn't. Of course he couldn't count them. But God was saying, I want you to see those stars in the sky, because as many as they are, that's how many, that's how many relatives you're going to have. And at that time, Abraham had no kids. He wasn't even able to have kids. The thought was inconceivable of having one child, let alone the amount of stars in the sky being his offspring. But his response back to God was not, I don't believe you, that can happen, that'll never happen. His response to God was simply this. It says that Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord. You see, when that rhino was going around in circles, the problem was that he had his head down. He couldn't look up. He couldn't even see the freedom that he had. And tonight, I think it's time for us to lift our eyes up, off the circle, off the problem, off the disappointment, off the failure, and to put our eyes on God, to behold him, because I think there's some stars that he wants to show you tonight, to say, see those stars in the sky, that thing that you thought was impossible, like, I actually want to step in and I want to do that in your life. I actually want you to believe. I actually want you to dream again. That's ours for the taking. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with a friend and be sure to follow us on Instagram at We Are Kindreds and wearekindreds.com.